0: So our next reading is from the book of Mark, and it's chapter 1, verses 9 to 13, and it's on page 1002, so that's page 1002, Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 13. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan, Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him.
1: Thank you, Maria. Please keep Mark chapter 1 open, if you would. And we'll pray with those words open before us. Father, we take to heart uh, from that very reading itself, that description of uh, a voice from heaven being heard, and we rejoice this morning that you're a God who wants us to know you better, to the extent that you came in the person of your son Jesus, to the extent that you've spoken words that we can understand about him. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us, Father, and we pray that you would do so even this morning as we think a bit more about him. And we pray it, Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. It's good to pray about the um, political situation, the run-up to the election. Um, in the prayers. I was heartened to hear that prayer that the Church of England have come up with to recommend. That was good, wasn't it? One of the byproducts of the um, political meltdown that we've been living through for the last few years, of course, is that we end up realising the limitations of human leadership. I don't know if I'm allowed to admit this, but I quite enjoyed that tweet which went viral uh, last week or just before was thought up by a guy called Julian Popov, a name I've not heard of before. He was a former Bulgarian environment minister. I wonder if you saw it. This is the tweet. I didn't count up to see if it's exactly 140 characters uh, or if it's been exaggerated in the telling, but it said something like this The year is twenty one ninety two. The British Prime Minister visits Brussels to ask for an extension of the Brexit deadline. No one remembers where this tradition originated, (laughs) but every year it attracts many tourists from all over the world. And apparently by the time the withdrawal deal had been passed and then subsequently dropped, it had been retweeted 83,000 times and liked 300,000 times. It's a clever comment, isn't it, on the limited powers of political leaders to deliver answers to whatever problems we face, we shouldn't really expect political leaders to bring about solutions to all our human problems, for the simple reason that as human beings, they are themselves part of the problem. I hope it doesn't sound like I'm trying to score a cheap point, and I'm certainly not meaning to to rubbish political efforts and endeavours, I think they need our prayers and support, but I hope I'm not trying to score a political, a cheap point if I just say that a lack of human answers to our struggles gives us as Christians an opportunity in the Christian church to lift our eyes up to a human leader who is different. And it seems to me it's absolutely on topic for our look at Mark's Gospel, which we began last week, because the focus is fair and square on Jesus Christ as someone in a league of his own from the start of Mark's accounts, And I'm actually particularly happy to be able to focus explicitly on him on a gift day, because Jesus Christ, of course, is right at the heart of what we're about as a church. And I admit that I often forget that. Business strategy tells us that every institution has to work out what their unique selling point is. And I think I, I easily sort of slip into that mentality. I think, well, what we've got to promote at All Saints would be... We mention our children's work or our our preaching or the the caring, multi-generational family community, all of which I certainly think are really important. I celebrate those things. But actually, they aren't the most important thing about us. That honor belongs to Jesus Christ. And I was brought up short not long ago when a couple who'd moved into the area told us that they'd been drawn to us by something on our website well, immediately my ears pricked up at that point. I wanted to know what it was. and uh, is it? I, I wasn't sure what it would have been that they would highlight. Oh, they said it was that the website put Jesus Christ central, not our activities or our ministries. And I was brought up short because I was expecting that would be what, what would, would have drawn their attention. I certainly can't claim any credit for writing that particular bit of the website anyway. I was brought up short because I had let that slip from my mind, and I guess I'm not alone in making that mistake. You think about it. Do you ever get disappointed with the church? Maybe. Because it, it doesn't match your expectations in some way. Well, that, that's no surprise, really, is it? We are all in this church flawed human beings. We're works in progress and we keep going with each other in spite of that. We may disappoint each other, but Jesus Christ doesn't disappoint. So we're going to focus afresh on him in Mark chapter 1, and we'll see that there's plenty in Mark's account to say, just to remind us, that he is like us in many ways. He was like us, but we mustn't move from acknowledging that to sort of downsizing Jesus and taking him down to where he's on a level with us. He's human, but he's so much more than human as well. And our passage gives us, it seems to me, two mind-stretching contrasts in its portrait of Jesus. Here's the first one. He's identified with sinners, so he's like us in that respect, but unlike us, He enjoys a perfect relationship with his Father in heaven. And for that contrast, we look at Jesus' baptism first in verses 9 to 11. Let me read them again. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, if you were here last week, I hope this is okay to say this. Verse 9 is a bit of an anticlimax, isn't it? Because we've had a, a fanfare of trumpets from Mark with his foreword in verse 1. He says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Then you get the quotations from the prophets um, that, that God himself is just around the corner. Amazing verses. And then John the Baptist, a preacher who drew enormous crowds. He's the most important messenger for hundreds of years, and yet he says, I'm not important at all, not compared to the one who comes after me. So you've got this fanfare building for eight verses. And then this scene in verse 9. We're anticipating something larger than life. I mean, the thing that impresses me is quite how unimpressive it is. If you imagine the scene, you'll see, see what I'm saying. We almost need to forget about all the sort of Jesus films at this point. Strikingly, nothing is told us about Jesus' appearance here. You get stuff about John's appearance, but not Jesus. Now, he just turns up as one amongst thousands, part of a vast crowd wanting to be baptized. There's nothing to distinguish him from everyone else. Jesus simply lines up for baptism, and at some point, I guess, he makes it unannounced to the front of the queue, and it's his turn. Next, please. And lo and behold, it's Jesus. So it's unimpressive in many ways. And you ask, why was he baptized? And after all, we had last week Mark's description of John's baptism as a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And ask yourself, if Jesus had no sin to repent of and no need of forgiveness, why be baptized? Well, the answer was that he was identifying himself with sinners, sinners like us. If God's people had to demonstrate their readiness to make a clean break from sin, to be cleansed from it, then Jesus must do the same himself. That was the path laid out for him by his father. And it's a path that would lead ultimately to the cross. So here at the baptism, he identifies himself with sinners by submitting to something which symbolizes the washing away of sin. Then, later, there at the cross, he identified himself even more completely with sinful people. As Paul put it, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when Jesus was baptized he took the first step along a road that would lead ultimately to the wooden nails of Calvary and the cross and the baptism was the point when the heavenly silence was broken no broken it wasn't broken before it was unimpressive up to that point but when he came up out of the waters verse 10 He saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. So you see how, at the very moment when Jesus chooses to look just like everybody else, he's identifying himself as a sinner. At that very moment, God makes it clear that this man is a one off. He's completely different from everyone else. And isn't it a striking phrase? Heaven being torn open. Think about it again. At what point is this happening? We all know that um, lightning strikes the tallest point, doesn't it? But here, all we see is a lowly, nondescript figure stepping out of a river after being baptized. And that is the moment when heaven is torn open. Where does God strike the earth? Where does the divine lightning hit and land? It's arcing down, isn't it, onto the unimpressive figure of Jesus, so that's the contrast. I guess we'd all love to hear a voice direct to us from heaven. I think it was Woody Allen who said once, if God would only speak to me just once, if he'd only cough, if I could just see a miracle, if I could see a burning bush or the seas part, or my uncle Sasha pick up the check, So, in other words, I think he's saying there, if his miserly uncle were ever to pay the bill for him in a restaurant, that would be such an unheard of thing that it would be tantamount to the clouds parting and God making himself known unmistakably. Well, it happened here. And everything about the incident shows how unique Jesus is. Think about the spirit descending on Jesus like a dove last week. John the Baptist was predicting that the one who came after him would be the one who gave the Spirit, or who would baptize in the Holy Spirit. And this incident is why he can do that. He can give the Spirit because he has received the Spirit as it descended on him like a dove. If you know your Old Testament well, you might remember how Isaiah prophesied that a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, in other words, from King David's line. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And later on, Isaiah puts words into that figure's mouth, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And what those different predictions amount to is that there was this hope that a royal figure who would be anointed by the Holy Spirit would come to rule God's people and to rout God's enemies. Always before, the Holy Spirit had only come on specific individuals for specific tasks. You think of Gideon or Samson, they're good examples. But one day, God's special servant would come. On him, the Spirit would rest and remain And at Jesus' baptism, it becomes clear that he is the one that Isaiah was predicting. The Spirit came and rested on him as a dove. And that was when Jesus was anointed for his rule, was his coronation ceremony. And the heavenly voice makes a similar point, because in saying of Jesus, this is my son, God the Father amazingly was echoing the words of Psalm 2. He said to me you are my son today I've become your father ask of me and I'll make the nations your inheritance you'll rule them with an iron scepter you'll dash them to pieces like pottery So he may seem insignificant as he makes his way up out of the Jordan river but that figure has the crown of the universe and every day every every one of us one day will acknowledge that every one of us here he's going to rule the nations and he's certainly going to take charge of us and we'd be fools to ignore that there is a, actually one other reference to Isaiah uh, which we had in our first reading uh, way back in the start of the service here is my servant whom I uphold my chosen one in whom I delight I'll put my spirit on him and he'll bring justice to the nations and that actually points onto to the cross because it's from one of Isaiah's servant songs, his prophecies about the coming servant who would suffer for his people's sins. You probably know that in the Old Testament of uh, Mark's day, they didn't have chapters and verses. They didn't have the numbers that we have in our on our Bible pages. So to refer to a, a passage in whole, usually you just quoted a small part of it. And isn't this amazing that the voice of God the Father is... Uh, chooses to quote from the Old Testament. He quotes from a passage which points to a suffering servant anointed by the Spirit, somebody who wouldn't break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick because by his death he'd make it possible instead to restore those people so that the most feeble human life can know God's touch to forgive sins and make a new start with him possible. That would come to pass through Jesus' death on the cross. But the journey started at the baptism. So it's heading to the cross, and we should never let talk of the cross trip off our tongues lightly. This episode here involving the Father, the Son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, shows us, if I'm allowed to put it like this reverently, that the whole story would ultimately involve God's heart being broken. You and I deserve God's judgment for the way we've tried to place ourselves at the center of the universe. And it's only at the cost of his son that he's able to forgive us. The son whom he loved. The son with whom he's well pleased, as he says here. I grew up with... um, Rights to decorate my own room walls with posters. And we used to go to a shop that I never see anywhere anymore called Athena. There were no looks around the room at 9 o'clock, as I mentioned, Athena and the poster shops. Well, they used to sell a classic poster that you always saw in Athena a few years back. It was a classic black-and-white photo of the, some typical 90s man, a shirtless, muscle-bound man with arms like tree trunks, Standing, looking down with complete devotion into the eyes of a tiny baby boy that he's holding. So you get the picture. He's a huge hulk of a man, but he's tender-hearted towards that baby. And you can imagine he'd do anything for that baby. Nobody else would dare touch a hair of that baby's head. The man in the poster wouldn't allow anything to separate him from his son. And surely you could say something similar of God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, only infinitely more so. This is the Son, loved by his Father for all eternity, and yet he gave him. Such is his love for the men and women he, he longs to save. He only had one Son to give, as it were. He loved him, and yet he gave him. So that's the first contrast we notice about Jesus in this passage he's identified with sinners so he's like us but unlike us he enjoys a perfect relationship with his father in heaven and amazingly he's on a path which opens that relationship to us as we've already thought about today much more briefly you'll be relieved to hear there is a second contrast he is opposed by satan And he has that in common with us too. But unlike us, Jesus is victorious in his battle with the devil. So again, Jesus is quite unique. Verse 12, At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Now this is is amazing, is it not? Isn't this striking how... From the moment of glory, as it were, when heavens are opened, torn open, the voice speaks, Jesus has an immediate reversal there. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Take note of this, it's so important. The presence of the Spirit did not immediately eliminate all struggle and difficulty from Jesus' life. Not at all. He got the voice of the Father still ringing in his ears. And at once, he finds himself the object of Satan's sustained attention. Now, you could argue it was pretty unique in the sense that Jesus got 40 days of that treatment. He is in a category of his own. But in one sense, there's nothing unique about this. From the start of the Bible, the devil has opposed the entire human race. We meet Satan first in Genesis 3 where the devil tempted mankind to rebel against God. He promised them freedom, but when Adam and Eve followed him, they found they actually yielded control to Satan. And ever since then, by nature, we are all under his power. So in the life of Jesus, as we read on in Mark's Gospel, we'll see that cruel power over the human race again and again in the form of demon possession, in all sorts of ways which are slightly unfamiliar to us as 21st century readers. I think that's because today the devil's tactics against the human race are slightly less obvious than they were then. In an anti-supernatural age, it doesn't suit the devil to draw attention to himself too obviously, and he operates often undercover, instead of the sort of full frontal assault that we witness in the life of Jesus in his lifetime. But it's significant, isn't it, that Jesus wasn't somehow removed from the fight. He was protected in the battle, says he was served by the angels, but he wasn't removed from the battle. And in that sense, he was like us. But in one important respect, he was very different. Elsewhere, we read that he was tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. So where we succumb to Satan... Jesus triumphed over him. Now, I think there are huge lessons of encouragement for us in this. There is a warning, obviously, if we follow in Jesus' way and in his steps, we will find we don't just gain a friend, we do, but we make ourselves a bitter enemy as well. We will be opposed by Satan if we're following Christ. And I hope it doesn't sound super spiritual for me to say this, but I detect the devil's hostility against Christians in multiple ways at the moment in the life of our church. Some of the strains we've had in our relationships, in group dynamics within groups, in marriages, between individuals, up and down generations. I can list all sorts of different ways. Maybe you can think of others that I haven't even thought of. But you know the sort of thing that happens in relationships. One of us says something, and the meaning or intention gets skewed somehow. And in a moment or two, brothers or sisters are at odds with each other. And then the sort of secondary effect, the ripple spread out as we go over the original discussion again with others in the fellowship. You know what the, the name Satan means, don't you? It means accuser. And where accusations are being trade, traded and, and taken to heart, even when that's between Christian brothers and sisters... It may well be the arch-accuser who's taking advantage of the situation. Even if that's unwittingly as far as we're concerned, we have an enemy as Jesus did. But if he was protected, so too will we be. With, this is company, angels giving us their special care. If only we could see that. And even if we fail, and if we're honest, we often do, yet in Jesus we have the victory because he triumphed in this cosmic battle. He is quite unique. So look out for all the pointers to his triumph as we read on in Mark's Gospel over the next few weeks. Well, it's just four or five verses, isn't it? 9 to 12, 9 to 13. We've met there with the real Lord. It's a very refreshing picture because... He's like us in many ways. He had to be so to be our savior. But don't let's underestimate the differences and all the surprises there. He's the victorious one. He's the lion of Judah. He's not just what we expect him to be. And I think we can thank God that that is so. We're going to have a chance to do that in our closing hymn this morning,
0: Jesus the name high over all.